You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 351 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a conversation with regular contributor, songwriter, artist, musician, actress, former acrobat, storyteller, Little Star Run. Little Star and I discuss the new year, and she shares a story about her time as a magician's assistant on the island of Crete. We get into Dutch pancakes and having a duck and a rabbit as roommates, levitation, a magic box, and some lessons learned. A grand conversation with Little Star Run on today's program. We have an EW essay titled Endless and an excerpt from a short story by the great Tennessee Williams titled Desire and the Black Masseur and a poem called Cupboards. Of course, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 351 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Thank you. 
Endless. A tiger lily marks my sense of lucidity as I hear the sound of cars and trucks off in the distance as they roll on the highway through the endless mountain passage. Trails at a time a century and a half back that were used by stagecoaches, and before that walked by the indigenous Lenape people. I often think about how life and time passed years and years ago, before I was here in this state, in this form. What sorts of trials and tribulations, what sorts of fear, happiness, and thrills back then in China, on the continent of Africa, ancient Greece, what we inaccurately refer to as the Middle East, so many gods, slaves, merchants, saints, sinners, and beasts, wild flowers and bloom, superstitions to ease and complicate further our woes, the discovery of the spear, wheels, and loom, the constant mystery and miracle of life from the womb, yin and yang, the Buddhist bells, pagan ritual and dance, the human song and meditative hum and uplifting chants. Are we children here because of destiny or chance? The sum of the sun and moon and love equals the need and desire for truth and romance. Perhaps, fellow travelers, we will find the means to in beauty and justice, with courage, wisdom, and kindness, advance.
Is that you? Uh, yes. Hello, EW. It's me. How are you today? Good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm slightly ill, so uh, just kind of navigating that, uh, slowing down my pace for the day. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I sneezed a couple times myself today, so I, I, uh, yeah, I'm feeling a little something, too. Plus, I think just worn out from the holidays we're talking to you in the early days of 2020 here on troubadours and rock on tours little star run is one of our regular contributors yes little star run is a songwriter an artist a musician an actress a storyteller among other things and uh we're going to start off the new year 2020 with uh, a story from little star run and whatever else comes up during our uh, connection. So uh, how, how's it going, first of all, the early days of 2020, be, besides your bit of an illness? <laughs> uh, I am not really marking 2020 as any more significant than any other year right now. I just, I didn't make any New Year's resolutions. I put absolutely no pressure on myself to do anything. Uh, and it feels wonderful, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's arbitrary a lot of times right uh it's it's good to have guideposts and references but 
put all that pressure on yourself with resolutions and and what have you. I, I don't know. It seems almost like self-abuse to a certain extent, you know? Uh, people get all freaked out about uh, the end of something and the beginning of something else and and they have, you know, they have to do better or what have you. I don't know. Um yeah, I I'm not putting myself through anything and I mean there are things I want to change, but I'm constantly in that state of reflection. It's not like I do that once a year, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Every <laughs> Every day I'm like, oh wow, how could I be a better human being? Not just, you know, when it's um, designated that I do that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's the better way. Every day it should be. Uh, you know, and it, it, just like oftentimes we say that during the holiday season, you know, the end of the year, the calendar year, uh, we we start being nice to each other for a few weeks more so than we are normally well well not why not all the time we do you know we should try that right exactly so i'm very excited about the fact that you uh are going to share a story with us um in the past i remember the time you you shared with us a story about your cat and uh (laughs) and and uh was it mishka is that right Misha, Misha. Misha. I put a K in there. Yeah, and from that point on, I thought, yeah, I think Little Star Run is a storyteller. So <laughs> what, do you, uh, what do you have for us? Well, it was hard to think of an anecdote. Uh, I had a couple in mind, uh, and I wanted to tell an interesting story that also has to deal with uh, animals in a way, uh, but it's about a time that I was a magician's assistant on the island of Crete. Mm, that sounds awesome. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. Um, so when I was first living in Greece, I didn't have a work permit. Uh, so I had to accept some jobs that might have been considered subpar. <laughs> uh, you know, where they're paying you under the table, things are a little sketchy. Uh, and one of those Uh, entertainment jobs that I uh, accepted was as a magician's assistant in a traveling show in 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 Greece but specifically on the island of Crete and at first I thought okay this is going to be normal you know I've been I was a magician's assistant I should say that I was a magician's assistant in a theater show in New York City before this I had had experience already Um, so when I applied for the job I thought okay, it's going to be very similar to my experience in New York in a theater and, you know, everything is going to be very similar. Um, It turned out to be something completely different. Uh, I shared a small villa, like kind of near the sea, with the animals from the the show. (laughs) There, (laughs) There was a duck and a rabbit. Uh, and they were my roommates, and uh, it was very interesting. I've, I had never shared a space before with a duck or a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have names? Uh, I can't remember them now. I I, I wrote some journal entries about it, um, but I really have no idea where that journal is. Um, yeah, they did have names, but I really can't remember them right now. Um and actually, I think the people in this story will remain nameless as well because I, I don't want to incriminate anyone. Uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I understand. Um, we have a lot of listeners on Crete. 
uh, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, you also are just a respectable, respectful person, so I get that too. Now, the, now the, initially, were you upset that you had to live in a villa with a duck and a rabbit from the show? Um, I mean, I love animals. I am a true animal lover, so I wasn't upset. I, I was just kind of fascinated by everything that was occurring. I mean, it was so far from my, my performing experience, you know, and the way I had traveled and, and done things. It, it, it was, um, I, I was just fascinated. I was writing a lot about it and um, kind of just taking it all in. Um, and they were lovely. I mean, they were great roommates. They're probably better than any human roommates that I've ever had. How so? Ah, <laughs> uh, they were very loving and affectionate. Although they were dirty, <laughs> they uh, they they did uh, you know have a few issues with cleanliness. Uh, but other than that, yeah, no, they were they just uh, liked affection, liked to spend time with you. Were very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever discuss with them their their uh, cleanliness or lack thereof? Did you try to like teach them? It wasn't really my place because their trainer, you know, he was the one who was responsible for them. I was just sort of their, you know, housemate. Uh and he 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 wouldn't stay in the house with us. It was just me and them. <laughs> so you'd think like this makes no sense. Like uh, shouldn't the trainer maybe be with the animals? But no, he had his own separate space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is when you guys were were not on the road touring, like when you had downtime, or when when you were touring, you also uh, slept with, lived with the the rabbit and the duck. Um, yeah. Well, this is on on the tour and the downtime because when in between shows and things like that, I mean that was my space. So. Um, Basically, their their plan had been to show up in Crete. They didn't even have the tour booked. They 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 told me that they did um, the magician and and his uh, animal trainer, but that wasn't the case when we got there. They booked the tour as we were going along, and it was kind of a nightmare because I never knew when we were going to be performing. I never knew what was going on. So I just enjoyed myself with my um, my animal roommates, and uh, and also exploring uh, the village where we were staying. It, the first village was called Piscopiano, and it was very beautiful. Um, it's above a very touristic area that's loud and has like very like insane tourists in the summer and stuff. But the village up in the mountains above it is very peaceful and beautiful. And picturesque. And did you um, did you actually uh, perform in that village? Did you get to meet some of the the, the people who live in that village? And uh, while you were there, oh yeah, I um, I made friends actually with with a Dutch couple that made very large style savory pancakes. And they had this amazing pancake house. So I would go there every day to get my gigantic savory pancake. Uh, and I would just walk around and, and talk to people and, and hear different stories. I mean, at that time, I couldn't understand all of the language. So I, I was a bit limited on maybe the information I could pick up. Um, 
but I wanted to get into what happened when we actually were performing EW because it gets more interesting. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear it. I just want to get some background information. Like, how old were you? Um, I was in my mid-20s, yeah. Your mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And the magician, how old was he or she? I'm not even sure. Uh, maybe like 40-something. So <laughs> I don't know. Twi- twice your age. Okay. Yeah, definitely much older than me. I mean, I, w- I was young. I was a little bit naive, uh, you know, booking myself on this tour. And uh, <laughs> so in my experience being a magician's assistant in the theater, it was a little bit different, more organized. Um, for this, I had to learn new tricks and and they weren't very modern you know they were sort of these old magicians i i mean i'd never even heard of some of the things like i for the levitation i had to wear a metal vest and it was act it was actually almost like something like a like a medical um brace let's say it had all th- these like big metal ribs that went around you or whatever and supported your whole frame. And then in the back of the vest was a little divot or like hole where they would place it on top of a sword. And so this is a thing that you wore under your costume. Your costume also had like a little hole in it and you had to rely on these two individuals being able to lift you up in this giant metal vest brace thing and safely put you on a sword. On and a sword. Went, on a sword. I, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of insane. Like, if you think about it now, I'm thinking about it now in, in retrospect. Like, what was I possibly thinking? Uh, trusting these people in that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I I think it worked out. You're a pretty cool person, <laughs> and I think this probably has something to do with it. Your experiences. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't die. Um, <laughs> but they weren't very good at doing this, EW. They weren't good at lifting me up and putting me on the sword. <laughs> I fell several times with this giant metal vest brace thing around me. Uh, and it was really painful. And they didn't really seem to care. Um, they're just like, you know, they kind of were looking at me like I was just this hired, you know, uh, I don't even have a correct word for it, but like almost a slave, you know, like she does whatever we want. We're paying her. We don't even have to treat her well. And, um, you know, I started to get pretty fed up, uh, after there were several mishaps, you know, in in front of an audience or just when you were rehearsing, um, it happened when we were rehearsing and then it also happened in front of one of the audiences. Um, they did save me from like actually really falling like completely, but, like, it was very hit or miss. Like, I mean, it was, you know, it could have easily gone very wrong. Well, what, was, uh, what was the object of the, of the illusion or, the, you know, the, act, that bit of the act? What were they trying to accomplish? Um, I mean, it, it was levitation, you know. Um, that particular one with the sword was levitation. And the sword was there to show that, you know, you're levitating above the sword to make it dangerous. If you weren't, you'd fall, you'd fall on the sword. Yes, exactly. Um, I think it's probably maybe hard to visualize because, again, it was kind of like, you know, when we see levitation, 
you know, we usually see it as sort of like just someone floating and then they put a hoop around you or, or something to show that there's nothing holding you up. I don't know how they do that one. I've never been in that type of uh, illusion. But this one was me balancing on a sword. So, like, I had to hold my body very straight inside this brace and I had to use my muscles, like, um, to keep my lower body straight because none of that was supported, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was a physical component to it as well. Um, it was very challenging. Um, and, and the duck and the rabbit were not involved in any of this? Um, in the levitation, no. <laughs> I, they had their own, um, you know, scenes within the act. Uh, I didn't really get to interact with them all that much, just once with a hat, and that's all. Uh, with the rabbit, the duck, the duck, and I didn't really get to interact in the show. So, I mean, besides the levitation uh, illusion that you were a part of, that some did it ever work? First of all, um, it did work, and when it did work, you know, they were extremely excited and wow, you're the best! This is so great! Wow, you're so talented! This is wonderful! You know, uh, they, they, they were. Very strange in that they were overly doting whatever the show would go well. And if the show would go poorly, and not really because of anything I did, probably more because of like their own mishaps. Like, I didn't have much control over what they were doing. I was kind of just like, you know, a pawn, really. <laughs> I had to just um, do what they told me. Uh, but if things would go poorly, then, you know, then I would be blamed. So it was sort of this weird dynamic which often exists in show business um and this is between you and the magician and the trainer not the audience the audience you know they they they, actually really loved it usually um they they enjoyed the show the audience was usually quite nice and um you know they wanted to talk to you afterwards and um yeah i think the audiences were much more forgiving than my um employer (laughs) And were you also, the, besides being involved in the in the uh, levitation uh, event, uh, were you also the lovely, quote-unquote, assistant? You mentioned the rabbit out of the hat. Oh, well, I mean, I, I didn't have a super sexy costume or something, but it was slightly sexy, you know. It was flashy, sequined. Um, I didn't really have to do a lot of that ta-da stuff, you know. I, I was actually more involved in, like, the physical... Um, tricks, you know, because that's why they hired me uh, for my athletic ability as well. Well, yeah, but you were also at one point in time, I believe, involved with the circus, right? Was this yes. a- after <laughs> after this uh, stint with the magician or, or before? Um, it was before. Um, the circus is actually what brought me to Greece. I was in a circus theater show. and uh, And then after when I was permanently living in Greece... When I was first there, I I was kind of trying to find my way. And uh, like I said, I accepted some of these interesting entertainment jobs uh, on my journey <laughs> to becoming, you know, eventually getting more into just regular theater and then music. Music has been my main thing for quite a while. Oh, yeah. You produce wonderful music. Um, my wife and I often uh, cite some of the lyrics in your songs. When we're talking to each other about stuff, you know, regarding the challenges of a life, because you write some good stuff, really good, poignant stuff. 
Well, ta- that means a lot to me that, that you do that. That's good. That means a lot to me. That means a lot to us, too. Thank you. Uh, Little Star Run here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Songwriter, artist, musician, actress, storyteller, uh, magician's assistant. Well, Man- former. Former. <laughs> For- <laughs> former. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock On Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. So... How did you get the gig? Did you see it in the in a Greek newspaper? Did you, you know, happen across the magician at a, a cafe? No, I mean it wasn't. I mean, I, I it's it wasn't like a, just a a chance meeting or something. Uh, someone had actually told me about this magician and that he was looking for performers. And then I did answer. He did put an ad out that I did see, and it was in a Greek newspaper. Um, and I just met up with him and had a meeting. The first meeting went really well. Um, you know, that's kind of why I signed on, even though I did have some misgivings. The first meeting was quite good. And I thought the tour was already booked. Uh, I thought everything was organized, but that was really just the complete opposite. Uh, <laughs> and I had no idea I would have, you know, animal roommates. Uh <laughs> And, uh, but the, I, you know, I enjoyed that to me, that was actually quite beautiful. Um, maybe even a perk of the job, you know, getting to spend some time with lovely animals. Uh, even though I didn't agree that they were being used in the show, you know, I didn't really think that that was uh, fair. Why not? Uh, I mean, they were treated well, but like I said, like he made them stay with me. Like the trainer wasn't even really, um, you know, devoted to them in that way. And I'll, as the story goes on, I'll, I'll explain that too. Um, he actually let them fly off. Like he tied them to the top of the car, you know, their cage or whatever. We had a car down there and he tied them to the top. Uh, and he guess he didn't secure it very well. And the crates, the cage things actually flew off on the highway. I'm not kidding. Whoa. I'm really not kidding. Oh yeah. man, animal uh, Michael Harris right now is 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 aghast. He's our he's our resident animal rights uh, attorney. He's aghast. Oh, I can imagine. And I mean, I don't agree with animals being used, uh, you know, in in performances like that. Um, especially after what I saw. Um, I mean, I loved them. They were beautiful and everything. But you know, after after seeing how they were um, mistreated in that way, especially like being tied to the top of a car. Like, I mean, really. I keep uh, thinking about Mitt Romney's dog. <laughs> okay. Remember? I don't know the story. Oh, yeah. Way back when he was running for president, uh, he the story came out that at one point he was traveling somewhere with his family and, and they put the dog on the roof of the car, you know, and people were busting him for you know a year about that one yeah i mean who does that but i find that kind of insane um yeah yeah it, it definitely was so that's abuse in so many ways i really didn't hear about that but now that i know about it um it's sort of- yeah check it out check it out i think you'll you'll find it uh, interesting that story so so um t- tell us how this all i guess culminated yes yes 
It culminated, exactly. Okay, so in our last performance, um, I, there was a, a trick and an illusion that I was involved in that involved me being in, inside of a box, a magic box, quote-unquote, where uh, these sort of like long knife-type sword plates would be put inside of it, uh, and then it would it would be that he was, you know, slicing up the box, but I remained intact. That's sort of the trick. Um, so inside the box, you have to... There's like a bar that comes through the side. I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can. And you sort of have to position your body so you're like far back on one side and then you kind of rest your... Um, abdominal muscles over this bar. It's like a, like a circular bar that points out, and that kind of holds you in place while the box switches its shape somehow, and then the knives go through the part that you're not in anymore. If, does that make sense? It, it does, but, I mean, it sounds like there could be a mistake made. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, so, uh, you know, I was given... Uh, a cue that I had to be in this position once inside the box. I had about maybe 11 to 12 seconds to get into position in between. Uh, and I trained myself to do this. I got pretty good at it. It's very stressful within 12 seconds trying to position yourself perfectly in this little compartment above. It's kind of like on the side and above the box. Like you're sort of folded around the box. <laughs> Um, and so what happened was he miscalculated, the magician miscalculated, um, and he started, because he does a thing where he turns the box, you know, uh -huh, yeah. uh, like right after I get in position, he turns it like three times. So he started turning the box before I was in position. Uh, and then he knocked me over inside the box. What I fell. You fell, the, the box fell over? No, I fell inside the box because he started turning it. I was just about to like get myself into the compartment area. But he, before I could do that, he started turning the box. Like I wasn't, it wasn't, the cue wasn't correct. So I fell because, you know, it wasn't stable for me inside the box if he's turning it. Um, and I'm not in my position. I had nothing to hold me. So he starts turning the box. I flip over inside the box. I'm like practically upside down on the, the floor of the box. And he starts to put the swords in while I'm not in any position. Oh, my He's Lord. Like, I know. I mean, come on. Um, it, you can't even imagine it. Like, it's so ridiculous. So me being somewhat of a, a comedian sometimes, I just kind of took the side because they have these wooden things, these wooden slat things that um, hold the sword knife things, like on each side. They're like plates, kind of, and they slide them through. Um, so I, I held onto the sides, and I pushed it right back out. <laughs> I just pushed it out. <laughs> and he kept trying to do it, and I just kept pushing it out. Like, you can't do that. You know, and you would think that he would realize, like, hey, okay, something's not right in the box. Maybe I'll do something else in between, give her some time. But he 
insisted on keep pushing these things inside the box. And I just kept comedically, you know, comic relief, pushing them right back out. And the audience was laughing, right? <laughs> and, and you were just trying to save your own life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so, like, amused by it now. But at the time, it was, like, really frightening. You know, you think, like, okay, I have, I have to just quickly think of what I'm going to do. I couldn't, he couldn't hear me. There was no way for him to talk to me inside the box. There, you know, it was that secure. There was no, I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't say something to him. Why, why couldn't you scream and say, no, 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 no? Um, well, I was also trying not to ruin the trick. You're such but... a professional. <laughs> Seriously. How, how many I mean, knives? <laughs> how many knives was he, um, was he supposed to put in? There are about six of them. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, and he kept trying to put different ones in. I just kept pushing them right back out. And then I kept trying to get myself into the position where I needed to be. Uh, and it, it just wasn't working, but I did finally get there. Uh, he did finally go through with the trick. Um, the audience clapped, loved it. Oh, fantastic. Wow. That was great. You know, whatever. We finished the show. You'd think that he would be grateful that I saved the trick in a way right yes impressed with your professionalism again and and the way you, so you dealt with it yeah he was so mad at me uh and then this this is where things became extremely extremely abusive he um he said something to me that made me quit the show he said you're lucky I don't sell you to the club and theater owners to get gigs. Can you believe that? He he was gonna he was threatening to sell you to the club like, to club and theater owners so that he can get himself more gigs in return. Like promising me, obviously, maybe like in a sexual capacity to somebody, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And I I. Immediately, I was like, okay, you're booking my plane back to Athens. You're lucky I don't report you to the police, you know? Like, I freaked out. Uh, I couldn't believe that someone would think that way, number one. Now, we have to, everyone has to understand, maybe, that things at this time in, like, you know, the Balkans, maybe were, things run a little bit differently, you know? Um, there are some very damaging attitudes towards women so uh, he wasn't a greek this magician he was great he was greek and and the the well, why yeah. do you mention the balkans um well because there's there are a lot of like sex trafficking rings and uh things like that in that in those areas um that's fact you know uh i, I personally been witness to that and see and seen what that is um you know and that's when women are sold a, a lot of times even into greece women are sold uh you know with a promise of maybe like a better uh existence let's say um and and sold into these sort of like sex rings and things like that I and mean, that that happens all over but i i have personally seen what that is and I, I know that it exists that's scary yeah 
So um, he, he bought you a ticket to back to Athens. He, you you got his, you got his attention, and you got him to do what you needed to be done. Oh, I yes, I threw a tantrum. I was threatening him to go to the newspapers. <laughs> I I lost my mind really uh, when he said this to me, and uh, I said, "You're booking my flight back. There are no questions asked. You're going to pay me in full. The tour is over, and that's it." <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah, well, he didn't, I, he didn't realize he was dealing with an American woman. I mean, I think, you know, he obviously knew I was American. Uh, not that that makes me any different from anyone else, but maybe that I just wasn't accustomed, you know, to those kind of, um, unfortunately, those are norms, you know, in a lot of places in the world. Still, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking... Maybe what, like fifteen years ago, ten years ago? About ten, yeah. Ten years ago, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Ten years, still the same, I'm sure. Uh, Little Star Run, what a story! So you got out, you got back to Athens. Uh, we're just about out of time. What'd you learn from all of this? <laughs> Make sure you double check. Uh, if you if you're booked on any sort of entertainment tour, make sure you check its validity. Um, you know, anything can happen at any time, really. Um, be kind to animals always and don't use them or enslave them for entertainment purposes. I think everyone should follow that. Um, and I, as much as it was a very traumatic experience in a lot of ways, I mean, there was a lot of beauty within that. I can't say that it wasn't interesting or exciting because it was but at the same time there were all these other factors that were you know unacceptable and uh, yeah that's my story i love it little star run here on troubadours and rock on tours sharing a story uh regarding her time as a magician's assistant on the island of crete Thank you so much, Little Star Run. I look forward to seeing you out and about in the next couple of weeks, and I look forward to talking with you again soon here on the on the program. Well, you should come. I'm directing a play. Um, it's going to be at the Diva Theater. Uh, it's January 23rd through the 26th. If you, it's it's a play I wrote as well called Arcadia. Um, I would hope to see you there or anyone else who's listening. Diva yeah. Theater in Scranton. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll see you then. Okay. Thank you, EW. Take Thank care. You. Thank you, Little Star Run. Ciao. Happy New Year. Could have been a sailor, could have been a cook A real life lover, could have been a book I could have been a signpost, could have been a clock As simple as a kettle, steady as a rock I could be here and now 
excerpt from an essay titled Desire and the Black Masseur by the great Tennessee Williams. The timidest kind of person was Anthony Burns, always scuttling from one kind of protection to another, but none of them ever being durable enough to suit him. Now at the age of 30, by virtue of so much protection, he still had in his face and body the unformed look of a child, 
and he moved like a child in the presence of critical elders. In every move of his body and every inflection of speech and cast of expression, there was a timid apology going out to the world for the little space that he had been somehow elected to occupy in it. He was not an inquiring type of mind. He only learned what he was required to learn, and about himself he learned nothing. He had no idea of what his real desires were. Desire is something that is made to occupy a larger space than that which is afforded by the individual being. And this was especially true in the case of Anthony Burns. His desires, or rather his basic desire, was so much too big for him that it swallowed him up as a coat that should have been cut into ten smaller sizes, or rather there should have been that much more of Burns to make it fit him. For the sins of the world are really only its partialities, its incompletions, and these are what sufferings must atone for. A wall that has been omitted from a house because the stones were exhausted, a room in a house left unfurnished because the householder's funds were not sufficient. These sorts of incompletions are usually covered up or glossed over by some kind of makeshift arrangement. The nature of man is full of such makeshift arrangements, devised by himself to cover his incompletion. He feels a part of himself to be like a missing wall or a room left unfurnished, and he tries as well as he can to make up for it. The use of imagination, resorting to dreams or the loftier purpose of art, is a mask he devises to cover his incompletion. Or violence, such as war, between two men or among a number of nations, is also a blind and senseless compensation for that which is not yet formed in human nature. Then there is still another compensation. This one is found in the principle of atonement, the surrender of self to violent treatment by others with the idea of thereby clearing oneself of his guilt. This last way was the one that Anthony Burns unconsciously had elected. She gets me higher than a 747 Turns me up to 11 Man, this must be heaven I'll never doubt her loving for a second With two to three babies and a wedding I'm spending Something's coming all over me I'm obsessing Head over feet You know life it ain't always sunny days But right now I can't feel no rain on me It would take so much hate for my smile to leave Because I know the one I love, she loves me She loves me She got me shooting like Peyton in the 90s Everything's exciting Well, she's the wave that I am riding The thunder to my lightning Well, she's the one and only cake that I am icing Something's coming over me I'm obsessing 
Head over feet You know life It ain't always sunny days But right now I'm feeling no rain on me But it would take For my smile to leave Because I know the one I love She loves me She loves me It ain't always sunny days But right now I can't feel no rain on me It would take so much age for my smile to leave Because I know the one I love, she loves me She loves me Ginger and chocolate in my mouth as I see the nape of her neck and beautiful high cheekbones and the warmth of a homemade sweater worn well, the smell of the wood fire and scented candles, opening cupboards below the handles with a forefinger and thumb pulled at the corner looking for a cup for some tea, the enchanting fog of a warm winter afternoon envelops a mountain range through a modern-day window, clear. I miss your breath, labored and wheezing, choked up with the times we stayed in bed all day you swore over the phone to your boss you never felt this way you called me the calm but you're the one who froze out me trapped me in a hazmat vial in the basement of the cdc how can you let me go after all that we've been through they tell me now that I've been cured, but not from loving you. You called me common, flew like or the crew. You tried to drown me with chicken soup. You passed me around like a ten-cent whore. But every four to six months, I came back for more. Ebola got a movie HIV got quilts and songs The Black Blade got a tapestry But I don't even see a handkerchief for me Oh, I believe 
Episode 351 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Little Star Run. And also the great Tennessee Williams. And these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Lamb Chop, Bahamas, Nick Drake, Alan Stone, Amy Mann, Brantford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Take care.